Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Q&A. Hello, hello, hello. Testing. I is here. It's seven o'clock and it's the time of the evening to do the Facebook Live Q&A with yours truly, JJ Stiano, consultant plastic surgeon. And uh, this thing happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live. And if you want to know what to do, then you just, then all you have to do is comment and share. Yeah. Right. Hi, Jade. Nice to see you. Um, here we go. I've got some preordained questions that we've had it recently, which I'm going to go through. If you've got any questions, by all means, ask them and I will answer them if I can. Uh, I'll, give it, I'll give it a, give it my best shot. Right, this one here says, I'm interested to know what the free breast implant check up would include, i.e. is it just an external examination or would some form of scan be carried out also? My concern is that an external examination would not potentially reveal the complete health of the implants. Um, I'm not sure where, where, this, where did this question come? Um, I think it came in by email, this question. So I'm not sure what the, what the free breast implant check is. Um, we do see everybody every year or, or offer an annual check to everybody, really, not just breast, to every patient um, once they've been discharged. Well, actually, we don't discharge them. That's the point. We, we, do, we just we just keep, keep an eye on them for, for you know, um, and I always say, look, whether or not they come for that routine follow-up appointment, they can always come back to the clinic if there's a problem. Um, and I guess the sort of um, more common people to 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 take up take us up on that is the breast implant people because people do worry about breast implants and sort of long-term um, uh, problems with them. So. Uh, you know, I personally see all my patients who I've used, well, I offer them a, a, an annual uh, appointment and the annual appointment is just an external examination. So uh, the question is, is it just an external examination or would some form of scan be carried out? No, the annual appointment is just an external examination. And there is a reason for this. So the patient said, my concern is that an external examination would not potentially reveal the complete health of the implants so that's uh, a fair point and so you could say well why don't you do some kind of scan uh, and i've done a blog post about this about you know scans for implants. because a lot of people say oh i've got to got to have a scan every year to have my implants checked and things and you can have a scan every year if you want uh, uh, to have your implants checked that's that's no problem um but the question is what are you looking for and what are you going to do about it if you find it? So that is the thing. There's no point in doing a scan unless you're going to act on the results of the scan and sort of know why you're doing a scan. Because sometimes people say, oh, I've got pain. Do a scan. I've got tummy pain. Do a scan. 
you, you, you can't just do scans don't diagnose things scans don't you don't get a scan and it says boom you know this this is the, the diagnosis all scans are all scans are are um basically their shadows basically that's what a scan is if it's an x-ray ct mri they're looking at densities of tissues so they're looking at shadows and they're looking at densities of tissues and they are helpful no question about seeing what's going on inside but it's got to be taken in conjunction with clinical examination history and you know what what you can't a scan on its own can't diagnose things so um in terms of the breast implants, you're going to think, why are you doing a scan? Right, so the problems with breast implants you're going to get are, the, the, the common things really are rupture and capsular contracture. Now, um, rupture, uh, sorry, well, capsular contracture, a scan's not going to help. Capsular contracture is a clinical diagnosis. So capsular contracture is, a, uh, is diagnosed by whether you can see the implants, whether you can feel the implants, and whether they're uncomfortable. That's the sort of stages of capsular contracture. Um, so, you know, stage one capsular contracture means you can't see or feel them. So basically everybody has got stage one capsular contracture, uh, or at least it's got stage one capsule. I suppose you wouldn't call it capsular contracture. Uh, then stage two capsular contracture means you can feel the implant. They feel a bit hard. Stage three, you can see them. They look quite rounded. And stage four, they get painful or uncomfortable. So that's a clinical diagnosis. A scan's not going to diagnose capsular contracture. The other problem with implants is um, rupture. And that's the reason that a lot of people would say, I want to scan. And I think actually this patient came back and said, I'm wondering about a um, silent rupture. And a silent rupture means that you don't know it's ruptured. So sometimes we do a scan and incidentally, so if you have a breast lump or breast pain, they say, oh, I'm going to scan your breast. And they say, good news, the breast lump's fine, but actually your implants are ruptured. That's a silent rupture. So you didn't know anything happened and like, what, my implants ruptured? So that's a silent. So people worry about this. They say, I want to get a scan to check my implants are okay. And that's fine and you can do that if you want and we can organize that if you want but the other thing you've got to realize with scans are two things first thing no scans are 100 percent so they're pretty good there's no question about it but they're not 100 percent what i mean by that is you can get false positives and false negatives so what that means is sometimes the scan can say it's ruptured and it's not false positive or sometimes it can say it's not and it is false negative and I've had both I've had patients who the scan said oh implants are ruptured you go to take them out and they're not ruptured at all they're absolutely fine similarly I've had scans to set that have said um uh, what was the first one did I say they're ruptured so this I've also had scans that said they're not yeah they're not ruptured the scans said they're fine and then you go in and they're ruptured so um basically you're gonna have both. so they're not 100 i mean they're 90 odd percent they're pretty good you've got ultrasound and an mri and ultrasound's a bit more accurate than an mri but they're both pretty good so I, i'm not saying they're useless but if they do show or suggest they always say suggest you know suggestive of a rupture it's not 100 so that's the first thing so if you're doing it if you are fine and they look fine and they feel fine and you're happy and you're comfortable and you've got no problems you do a scan and the scan says suggestive of rupture then you can be in a bit of a quandary then because you think oh should i have them removed because if you have them removed risks scar if you get an infection you have to remove them might not be sitting right what do you do about the size do you use the same you know so there's all potential risks of doing surgery do you want to take on those risks because what's the benefit the benefit okay i don't want those ruptured implants in there 
But as I say, you'd have to be prepared to say, look, I can't 100% guarantee they're ruptured, although the scan has suggested it. So that can be quandary, quandary filled. The second problem is, or the second issue, is the sort of type of rupture that you can get. There's two types of rupture. There's intracapsular and extracapsular rupture. An extracapsular rupture means the implant ruptures and the capsule ruptures, the sort of the scar tissue around it. That's what the capsule is. And that's significant trauma, road traffic accident, seatbelt, boom, whole thing. The breast misshape, is misshapen. The breast looks weird. You get, you know, it's, it's obvious you're going to need something done because it's just, boom, that's really bad. So that's an extracapsular rupture. The, the the other type, the intracapsular rupture, which is more where you get your silent ruptures, just a bit of the implant gets, a bit of the shell is, is a bit like that, and it just rubs slowly, 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 and then the, the, the shell fails. That's a silent rupture. No, no symptoms. The breast keeps, keeps its shape because the rupture is held within the capsule. The shape looks normal. Uh, particularly for modern day implants, they're cohesive gel these days, which means the gel doesn't leak liquid silicone. So often they keep their shape, the implant keeps its shape. What are you going to do about that? Do you need to have that changed? You know, I say you can have it changed. Once you know it's ruptured, you're like, oh, I want to have it changed. But how much benefit are you going to get? Now, you might say I'm going to get peace of mind because I don't want a ruptured implant in there. But it's like, hmm. So basically, is it worth doing a scan every year because you've got to be careful what you look for, basically, because you might find stuff and think, God, I wish I hadn't found that because I'm, I'm actually fine. So that is why for me, and this is my personal thing, and I know some people will do, you know, annual scans. But for me, it's a clinical examination. And if you're fine, if they look fine, if they feel fine, no problem at all. If there's problems, if there's a lump, if there's a swelling, if there's an issue, then you can do a scan. And then the scan is looking at that lump and swelling and seeing, uh, if there's a problem with the implant. So there's no question you need a scan if you've got a problem. But this is sort of more for a routine check. Personally, I don't recommend scans, but that's not to say you shouldn't have one. But if you are going to have one, you've got to think, what am I going to do if I, you know, based on the result? So I hope that's, uh, hope that's helpful. But that's my view, personal. But I need a disclaimer, don't I? disclaimer um that's my view on um scans so i need to put this as a disclaimer personal view let's do it as a caller personal view personal view people you know i'm not some if people do scans all the time doesn't mean they're wrong you know, as long as you're happy, as long as you, it's like I say about this most important decision is choosing a surgeon. You get on with the surgeon. The surgeon seems reasonable, has done good surgery to you and is recommending routine yearly scans. That's not, I wouldn't say that's bad practice. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's done out there. So my person, I don't do it. I just do it if, the, if people are symptomatic. But as I say, you've got to think about what you're going to do based on the result. Because I've had, I've been in, the only reason I'm saying it is because I've been in the situation. You know, you do a scan, the scan suggestive of a rupture. The patient says, do I need to have it changed? You're like, well, you don't need to. It might not be, even be ruptured. And even if it is, it's obviously held the shape and you feel fine and you look fine. And there's no symptoms. Because you could leave it. And you say, okay, I'm going to leave it. And you think, well, why did I do the scan then? Why did I do a scan in the first place? You know, because we said the scans are only leaving it. So that's where that's why I'm saying this, because I've been there, been there. And so 
you think oh, flipping neck next time i'm gonna have a you know we're gonna think more carefully about whether we do scans that's that's what happens in my mind that's what's going on in my head this is a follow-up and i can see debbie's straight in with a question which looks like a long one but it's not that long but i'll have a look at it but um can i just do this follow-up and then i'll do your do, do your question debbie i haven't got many questions of my own actually so any input will be gratefully received um if uh, sorry if a scan is not included in the free checkup what is the best way of getting this done so yes um well if you've got a problem if you've got a lump or a, a pro problem particularly if your lump is with the breast so if you have got a lump it's a different question and you've got breast implants the thing is to always come back and see us or, or see a surgeon i would say or see someone whether it be a G gp or your surgeon if you've got breast implants in the gp might say oh you've got breast implants in you better go and see your plastic surgeon and certainly we're happy to see you if you've got breast implants in because sometimes we can say that that lump is the implant if it feels like the implant uh, but sometimes it's actually the breast tissue so if it's breast tissue then we would normally refer you back to gp and you could perhaps get seen by a breast surgeon going into a tangent here because they're different types of surgeons but anyway um and then you would get that scan on the nhs because they would be worried about a breast lump rather than it being your implant. If it's related to your implant and it's not gonna be an NHS type thing, we could organize a scan, but that's the other thing. There's costs associated with problem with all this stuff, all this sort of cosmetic breast stuff, it's all um, self-pay. So you have to pay for it yourself. So yes, the, we can easily organize it. We organize it at the hospital easily. Also, you know, MRIs, um, ultrasounds, anything, um, we can organize any scan, but there's costs associated with it. So that's why, again, you've got to think about why you're doing it, especially if you're going to be doing it every year. You know, is it worth that cost, particularly if you're not um, going to act on the results if you're asymptomatic and clinically fine? So, yeah, so organizing it is not a problem, but it is a cost. Debbie is saying good evening. Hi, Debbie. It is important to sleep up. It, it, is it is it important to sleep upright following a TT and MR? I know what that means now. It's tummy tuck and muscle repair, isn't it? Um, to aid recovery, or is that just a suggestion as it's more comfortable? Is it okay to sleep flat on your back or, or on your side without causing any damage to anything? Oh my God, Debbie's used another abbreviation. What a BB that looks. BB. Anyway, I'm going to do this question first. Debbie, if you if you can, it's BB? It's a BB. Anyway, I'm going to do this question because I know what a TT and an MR is, and then I'll cross the BB question when I come to it. Um, perhaps I can just ignore it, but I've drawn attention to it now. Did anyone hear me say about the BB? Anyway, um, I'll just ignore the BB. No, I'm not going to. I'll, I'm going to tackle the BB question head on. Um, so... No, Debbie, it's not important to sleep upright following a TT and MR to aid recovery. Or is it just a... But, but, that, um, the, what happens, Debbie, when you have a tummy tuck um, is that when you're in hospital, you often got those beds that, that you can press the button and they all move up and the legs go up and all that sort of stuff and you get pillows on your knees and you're bent, bent double. Um, and people worry, saying, what am I at home? I haven't got one of these beds that all sit up and all that sort of stuff. Um, basically, what you're doing with a uh, following a tummy tuck is you're trying to take tension off the uh, of the wound. And you take tension off the wound, live demonstration.
Live demo. Right, live demo. Take tension off the wound by doing this. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the position. See my position? Have I got? No, I'll go forward a bit. Yeah, that position. Live demo. Okay, you got that? Everybody now. Let's do it. Let's get in that position. So that's the position you want to be in. So you want to be. You you want to have your hips flexed. Your hips flexed. So when you're lying in bed with your sit seat, I'll oh, get the live demo off now. That was a live demo. Um, oh, I have to make a note of all these crawlers I've got to get on. So basically, um, that takes tension off the wound. And when you're in the in hospital and you've got all your bits and bobs and you're in that position, you've got the button. When you're at home, you haven't got a bed that does that. So you might think, oh, God, how am I going to sell that much? But if you think about it, the same position you can do on your side in the fetal position. Yeah. So you can recreate the same position on your side in the fetal position. I don't know if I should do a live demo of that, because basically you'll still have your hips flexed. So you can lie on your side with your hips flexed um, instead of being upright uh, when you sleep, because sometimes people will struggle to sleep upright. Um, a lot of people talk about sleeping upright after breast surgery and things, which helps the swelling. It does a bit. But I think for me, it's more important that you sleep. So if it's uncomfortable. Sleep, and you know what? Your body will do that automatically. You will, if you lie on your side, you'll automatically flex your hips because your body will say that's painful. So you won't lie flat, and you're, you know, especially in the early days after the tummy tuck. So yeah, you can lie on your side and and flex your hips by getting in the fetal position, um, which would be whichever's more comfortable for you. So, um, or is that just a suggestion as is more comfortable? So yeah, so do what's more comfortable for you. And it's absolutely fine to sleep upright because that will also take the tension off. But I think I think many people will find it a bit uncomfortable sleeping upright. And so, as I say, you can just lie. Oh, here we go. So is it OK to see flat on your back or on your side? Yes, I think flat on your back, uh, Debbie, will be difficult. I think flat on your back, you will find that uncomfortable. And particularly in the early days after a tummy tuck, because flat on your back will be uncomfortable. So but if you can't sleep on your side, maybe pillows under your knees. I should have that personal disclaimer thing again. This is my personal view, Debbie. I don't want to mess with anyone else if they're saying something else. You know, torture surgeon, torture surgeon, and do what they say. But my view is that um, that's what I would say. Um, as long as your your hips are flexed uh, on your side, you can do that, or sitting up with a lot of pillows and maybe some pillows under your knees. But uh, I don't think flat on your back would be good. I think that would be put tension on the wound and wouldn't be good. So I think you might cause damage to stuff if you go went flat on your back. But your body would tell you that. You don't have to tell, I don't have to tell you that. You would lie flat on your back and you think, flipping it, I'm not doing that. And you'd be up on your side quick as quick as you like. So, BB, thank you. Debbie and Holly have both uh, clarified that a BB is a belly button. So, Holly, how did you know that? Is a BB a natural? BB, I'm sorry, people. BB is not an approved abbreviation. I don't know what's going on with these abbreviations these days. UCO. C C G or something. I don't know if you watch, you know, line of duty. I mean UCO, I've got that. Undercover officer. CCG or whatever. I don't know what that is. And yet they oh, we've got the CCG. They don't explain it. Anyway, BB is a belly button. Um, will a belly button that looks will a belly button that looks vertical eventually change to a round shape? Hmm. Probably, yeah. Probably. Um, so again, talk to your surgeon. 
I mean, round is the, the, the problem. Sometimes people, people make belly buttons in different ways. There's a whole um, world out there of belly button making ways of making belly buttons, believe it or not. Uh, I've written a paper on it. Oh, yeah. You heard me right. I've written a paper on how to make the belly button after a tummy tuck. So um, so I am a bit of an expert, you could safely say, published on that one. Um, and sometimes people, so there's a way of people's idea of what an aesthetic belly button is. And sometimes people think a vertical slit is aesthetically pleasing as opposed to a horizontal uh, orientated belly button. So sometimes people feel that a, a, a vertically orientated belly button is, a, is an aesthetically pleasing thing. Um, so, but in terms of um, sort of surface area to volume ratio, that's probably the wrong thing to say, isn't it? But basically things go into a circle, things when, when they contract will often go into a circle. And one of the problems with um, belly buttons is we often try not to make it a circle, uh, whether that be a slit or um, personally I do a sort of like a shield shape or just something that's not a circle, because what happens is as that scar contracts, it tends to become circular and constrict. So the problem with the belly buttons after a belly uh, after a tummy tuck is that that forms a circle and constricts and can get really sorry I keep on hitting the mic can get really tight. Sorry, that's not a good thing to be demonstrating, but you know the, the belly button can get really tight and the scar can contract and it can get difficult to clean it and things like that. So that's a big problem after belly button uh, uh, the belly button of a, after a tummy tuck. Um, so the fact that it's a slit particularly if it's early days i don't know i mean up to about for six to 12 months i wouldn't really worry after 12 months if it's still vertically orientated it might not improve um but as i say sometimes people feel that a vertically orientated belly button is aesthetically pleasing maybe you don't um because you're asking <laughs> but it but if it's early days it might it will probably round off a bit and we would worry more that it would round off too much um but debbie two questions there thank you for that because i've got to say to you debbie I've got two more questions in in the bag, and that's it. And I'm then I'm out. I've got to have my I've got my I've got my last question crawler. Anyway, so here here goes. If anyone's got a question, guys, this is second to last question. Um, yeah, we've been getting this a bit recently. Why is it so expensive to remove a mole? I hope you're not hearing the background noise. I'm going to gloss over it because I'm a professional. Um, so. Um, we we uh, and what I am trying. I've just done a um, video on this this afternoon. Uh, yeah, it didn't go very well, so I think I might have to redo it tomorrow. But still, the point is, I'm doing a video on this. Um, so that'll be uh, so. Oh, yeah. So, like, go to my YouTube channel. I think I've got a, I've got a crawler on that. Have I? If you. Yeah. Oh, I've got this one, haven't I? But it's not a day. I keep on saying this. It's not a day. Look. Anyway, so I've done a video on it. So please go to my YouTube channel, the Stiano Clinic. Um, it's not there yet. It'll be there probably next week or later on this week. Anyway, so we've been getting a bit, a bit, bit of people saying, Nick, how, is how much is that? So, um, and what I normally say is that what I've built the clinic, I've built the clinic on a place which is trying to give the best service and fully trained plastic surgeons highly trained professionals and everything i do is trying to give more value better service looking after people following up on people making sure everything's okay fixing things if they're not that is what i'm pumping into the clinic and trying to do really well and i am um, the, the the 
the idea or the goal, I don't really say it's a goal because it means you haven't got there, but, you know, I really think it's a world-class service, what we're, what we're, what we're delivering, you know, really everything time I do stuff, I'm thinking, is this what the best in the world would do? You know, it's really world-class service I'm trying to, I'm trying to go for. Um, but if you're going to do that, something's got to give. And we're not that competitive on price, to be, to be honest. And I think, and I know there are places that do it a lot cheaper. I, I know that's a fact. And I know it's difficult with molds, you know, with the breasts and the tummy tucks, things like that, the bigger ops, I think people maybe can justify a bit more. And I know it is difficult with mold. And I know that people are, uh, uh, you know, price sensitive. I understand that. I think everyone is. No one can afford to spend money on things that aren't um, value for money. So the answer is, well, the reason is, number one, we are all fully trained plastic surgeons. And a lot of people who are doing molds are not fully trained plastic surgeons. In fact, the majority, I probably I don't know the facts, but a lot are not are not surgeons. Then they're, they're not surgeons at all. Um, now, I'm not saying that's bad because a lot of non-surgical people can remove molds and can do it fine and effective and take you know get rid of the mold. That'll be you know the job job will be done. Um, but as plastic surgeons, we do spend a lot of time worrying about tissue handling, orientation of scars, uh, and how we do it and how we place our scars. So we spend a lot of time planning our incisions and uh, ensuring that we get the best sort of long-term result, as well as getting the mole out effectively, making sure we take a minimal margin if we think it's benign, if we think it's cancerous, we'll take a more of a margin. Um, there are, so there are, there are sort of nuances that we will be doing and because that's what we've been trained to do and all our training is about the aesthetics as well as getting rid of the the, the problem because obviously well not obviously but we are all trained also in skin cancer so we've cancer excision is a big part of plastic surgery so we need to make sure we get rid of the rid of the um, problem uh, they're usually benign moles but it, you know even if it was not a benign mole we can deal with that so number one we're all fully trained plastic surgeons but as i say you might think well oh, don't need that well that's fine um number two we are well without basically it's chart we look after you so if there's any we'll see you we'll do the dressing we'll see you at six weeks we'll see you at three months we'll see you at six months at six weeks we'll talk about scar management we'll talk about what you can use on the scar We'll have a look if it's all okay then that's fine if there's a little bump little knobble little this this we'll fix it you know there's we will look after you make sure everything's right and you might say well i don't need that and it's you know because often you don't need that and you might say well i'm paying something i don't need well i get it you know it's hard i don't want to tell people they have to come to me because it's so much better than elsewhere you might find it's better value for money elsewhere it depends on what you value but what i would say is the price of a lot of places they're often like half what we're charging and maybe less than half is less than what we pay the surgeon so you've got to think how much those surgeons are those surgeons have been paying a fraction of what the surgeons have been paying at the clinic and that is you've got to think about what sort of level of surgeon is going to do it for that price because often you think oh how they afford the petrol to get there for the amount they get the surgeon gets paid to have a mole when they're not charging that much but we we just can't compete on price basically bottom line we can't compete on price um we can't we don't try and compete on price with the breasts with the tummies or with the moles um have i did, done a good job of explaining that i don't know maybe I, but that that's what it is
and yeah i totally understand that it can be expensive and maybe not for everybody um but we as i say trying to deliver a really good service anyway julia um oh, julia jeeves in a in, in a fleur de lis, fleur de lis, sorry for spelling, is it just a vertical scar as I have a scar that resembles a cross? Is that normal? I am just wondering. Yeah, no, it does resemble a cross, Julia. I think you've got the right scar. Yeah, it's a it's a vertical scar and a horizontal scar. It's an inverted T-shaped scar in a fleur, fleur de lis. Um, it's sort of like the fleur de lis is, you know, the um, warriors in the uh, medieval times on the shield. They had that three leaf thing. So that's what you excise or three leaving. And then when you close it, it goes. So you get your normal tummy tuck scar in your normal place, but then you get a vertical scar going straight down as well as your normal tummy tuck scar. So I think you're all right, Julia. Panic not, you haven't got too many scars. I think you're all right. Debbie, back in. No, there's no putting you down, Debbie. Straight in. I've heard that training with earplugs can improve the shape. What would you suggest? Love it. Earplugs. Yeah, I'm not sure earplugs. I think we're back on the BB there with Debbie. Um, just for those who you relate to us, um, Debbie's talking about the BB, which I'm sure all you out there know what a BB is. But uh, for those who don't know, it's a belly button, apparently. Um, yeah. Do you know what I've, I've seen patients do is, um, you know, like makeup brushes, the back of makeup brushes, just, just something to sort of, um, yeah, can improve the shape of the belly. It might improve the shape, Debbie, because Debbie was asking about vertically orientated. I, the main, as I said, the main problem with the, uh, belly buttons is that they constrict so certainly when they constrict getting your finger in if you can massaging because the scar is often quite tight massaging with skin your finger earplugs i'm not sure if you but i think earplugs will be a bit too sort of um conformable or you know malleable but certainly the back end of a makeup brush getting in there getting a bit of pressure on there definitely definitely that will help with a constricting scar whether it will help with an, a vertically orientated one going round maybe maybe debbie i think i would say um yeah, maybe, but certainly that I've, I usually talk, tell people to use that if it's con scars constricts, constricting and firm. Oh my God, Sharon is a belly button phobic. So when I eventually have my TT, I don't care if they leave my old one in there. Your old one will be there, Sharon, but it'll then pop out. And then there'll be a new skin, a new bit of skin around it. So your old belly button is still, you would contain the original belly button, but yeah. Just pops out we need to video a tummy tuck just so to show you what happens well maybe not for you if you're belly button phobic but um debbie's crying uh would you what what do you suggest for tt scar to reduce viable viability and when would you start using visibility i think that is viability Oof. um yeah no not that's not about viability but visibility um i suggest the main thing well, the main thing is time, um, but normally about six weeks, we would suggest massage. And to be honest with you, it's mainly if you've got something that you moisturize with or some good cream and things like that, then I would go with that. Nivea E45, aloe vera, um, uh, vitamin E, you know, whatever. You know, for me, it's more the massage than the, than the stuff that you use. If you have got a problem scar, if you've got a hypertrophic scar, if it's red and raised, you can use things like silicone. Uh, we sell silicone at the clinic, silicone, and we've got one with little ball bearings, which is good, which sort of gives a bit of pressure as well. Um, 
And if it's a real problem, if it's very raised, you can use silicone sheets or silicone gel. But that's really for red raised scars. Most normal scars, which are a bit firm and are just a little bit red, just normal massage is, is good. Um, avoid the sun on it while it is red and obvious, which is the first three to six months. But yeah, after six weeks, start massaging it, uh, maybe day and night. It's difficult because of the area. And um, yeah, and it can take six, 12, maybe even 18 months for them to say, sometimes it can take a while to um, just to settle and fade. Um, Julia, thank you. I wasn't sure. My cross part is under my breast, not on the TT scar. What? Oh my God. Hear that? My, my cross part is under my breast. So that's a, that's a, that's a reverse abdominoplasty, Julia. So you've, you've, yeah, you've, you've on the, so you've had a tummy tuck. Oh, you're a complicated one, Julia. I'm guessing you've had a tummy tuck, have you? And then you've had a fleur de lis, but you've had like, a, is that a reverse fleur de lis? I've never heard of a reverse fleur de lis, but maybe you had a reverse fleur de lis. Whew. So you've got a, you've got like an eye, you've got an eye shaped scar. You've got underneath your breast, straight down and tummy tuck. Do they all join? Have you got an eye? Right. Well, you must have lost a lot of weight, Julia. So that's unusual. So I know I have revision. Okay, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, when you get into revisions, you have to take out the skin where the skin is. And when you take out the skin, you give scars. So certainly the, the, that vertical scar is good at, you know, narrowing the waist. So <coughs> yeah, that, yeah, Julia, you've got an um, unusual uh, scarring there, but certainly not outside of the realms. You've obviously had a tummy tuck or a fleur de lis tummy tuck and reverse abdominoplasty as well. Um, but yeah, well, eight stone. Good on you, Julia. Good on you. Well done. Make you feel like a new woman. We all know it's a BB. You need to join some surgery forums in Facebook. Okay. All right, then. Fine. Is that where it's going on? The, the surgery forums in Facebook? Yeah, I should. I, I was wasting my time in medical school and all that place. They never told me about the BB in medical school. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll have to get onto some surgery forums and learn about the uh, abbreviations. No, no, what, Sharon? What was Sharon? Was Sharon the, the, the sick person on the belly button? Yeah. Uh, Julia, yes, I've already done that. We can teach you some medical terminology abbreviations. I do need that clearly. To be fair, guys, I don't think you are using the proper terminology. I think I'm using the proper terminology and you're just making them up for your own means. BB. I'm sorry, that's not uh, that's not that's not acceptable. That's just you're just making these things up. You can't just make them up. Be, be, but umbo, right? That's what we would call it. Umbo, U-M-B-O, umbilicus. Yeah, not BB. No one calls it a BB. Well, not except you lot. I don't know if you all got together. Julia, thanks very much for your answers. I really appreciate. It. I don't know if I've answered you very well, Julia, but thanks for thanking me. That's great. I it sure is. You could have saved some money. What, by going on the forums? Yeah. BB. Yeah, no, I accept BB is good. BB is good. But, uh, now I know, you know, BB, MR. I don't think MR is acceptable abbreviation, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, I can I can get it. Um, oh, <laughs> that's good. Thank Well, listen, Steph, I'm on right now. I've got to tell you, this is a lot. Sorry, I should thought I had typed these in. This is the last, oh gosh, I got it wrong. The last question, guys. I'm doing a crawler. 
last question. All in fair warn, okay? Last question, and then I'm gonna have a lie down because I think I need it after all this BB and God knows what. Right, this is the last question. This is a patient I will answer you if I hope you're there because um, I know you've just sent me an email just now. And I just said, look, if you can get on Facebook. So if you can't get on Facebook, we'll send you the replay. But if you can, hi, here's your question. Um, so this patient, there's several tattoos. And I said several uh, sessions for, there's three tattoos. Two of them will need, I think I said three sessions. And one of them would need possibly one session. And um, they said, this one is the main one. And they're worried not worried they want to get it all out in one go and they live far away and they don't want to come all the way and find out that we can't remove it in one session so can i tell them whether i can remove it in one session if they send me videos and photos and things like that if they can can they do more for me to tell them and the answer is no you can't do more we can do skype consultations you can pick because she's saying i can pinch it. it's up here it's up here i can pinch it and it pinches well and all that and the reason we can't do more number one it is really, I mean, I, I do, I'm, I'm, I, I do enjoy answering questions. You probably noticed that. And I do like answering questions because I, and I'll do my best to ask questions, but you cannot guarantee, I mean, you cannot, um, not guarantee, what's the word? Beat. Another word for beat. You cannot, well, I'm just going to use beat. You cannot beat um, the an in-person consultation. So you can't beat an in-person consultation. Um, maybe beat is the word. Maybe there isn't a word. Um because, well, first of all, you can't beat an interpersonal consultation. When you see the person, you can actually feel the tissues yourself. And all that sort of thing. But even if you send us a video of you pinching and all that sort of stuff, what we do when we do the surgery, you know, same with tummy tucks and any sort of surgery, what we do is we make one cut. So this is a tattoo here. Make one cut and then stretch the skin during the surgery. It's called tailor tacking, seeing how much skin will will be able to excise and only excising it when we know we can close it so to be honest with you even if you come to clinic i guess we'll be able to give you a bit of a better idea when you come to clinic but even then sometimes i'll be like i don't know if i can get all of this i can't guarantee i can get it all out because if it's really tight closure i might have to leave a little bit by on either side of the ink on a sorry a little bit of ink on either side of the scar that's even you know, in surgery, we don't know exactly how much we can take out. It's the same when you're doing a tummy tuck. You, When you mark people, you mark the top line, but you don't cut the top line. You cut the bottom line, you undermine and you stretch it as much as you can. And then you take out the top incision when you've seen how much you can take out, if that makes sense. Maybe I'm confusing it going on tummy tuck. But basically with a tattoo, I, you know, we cut out one side, undermine it, pull it across and see how much we can take out and tailor tack it because we don't want to take out too much and not be able to close it because that would be a disaster. So we can't guarantee that we'll be able to get it all out before you come to clinic. In fact, we can't guarantee it before you come to the surgery, to be honest with you. You might have a bit of ink on either side of the scar. So it's a tricky one. And I'm sorry if you know you live far it's tricky. You, you might not. And the, the best is to say, look, you might still be. Now, you might be OK with that because it'll be a scar with a bit of ink on either side. It won't be recognizable as the tattoo. It'll just have a bit of ink on either side. But don't want you to be cheesed off if that happens. So I'm telling you now, you might have a bit of ink on, on either side of the scar. And if that's going to cheese you off, don't don't come. Don't have it done because 
it might need two goes. You know, it's really hard. It's really hard to say it won't need two goes because the worst thing we do is we either can't close it or we close it really tight and then it opens up and then, that's you know, so we will do our best to get the most out, but we can't guarantee it um, without seeing you in person. So, um, so the idea, yes, you can get an idea of whether your tattoo can be removed without committing it by sending us a photo. But as I say, this particular patient has sent us photos, and I've said, look, I think it might be coming out in one go, but possibly two, and I and I can't really go, I can't really go more on that without actually not only seeing you, but actually, as I say, often doing it. We try and make it as tight as we possibly can without making it too tight that risks opening up. Cheryl, just when I thought uh, everything was on quiet, Cheryl is straight in with a question. So Cheryl, gold star, well done. Thank you. What's the approximate healing time on having breast uplift in brackets time off work? Breast uplift, big job, Cheryl. It's a big job. Um, a lot of scarring back into that tease, back in the United States. Anytime there's a T, anytime there's a junction. So uh, breast uplift, there's a scar around the nipple, scar down. So that's one junction. Yeah. And then there's another scar in the fold. So that's the second junction. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's just that junction. Sometimes it's just circumvertical scar or uh, lollipop scar, they call it. So that's one. Sometimes it's that. But often there's one in the fold as well, like an inverted T scar or anchor. So anytime the scars meet, there's a problem of healing at those bits. So sometimes you get problems with wound healing. So again, disclaimer. I haven't got my disclaimer. I'll just type that. But disclaimer, personal view. A personal view, personal practice, totally different with other people. But this is um, just to give you an idea. Um, you have a dressing on for a week in um, my practice, and then that dressing comes off after a week. Um, during that week, you will not feel like going to work. You'll feel tight. You'll feel weird. You have to be careful washing. You have to sort of sit in a bath and wash and stuff like that. And it will feel a bit odd. We take the dressings off after a week, and it looks weird. Always try and warn people it looks a bit weird. What's going on? Looks strange. There's often a little bit of spot of blood here and there. So we normally give you a bit of gauze to wear in your bra after that week. The second week you'll be feeling better. You'll be pottering around. You'll be doing the computer. You'll be, you know, pottering, pottering around the house. Wouldn't say that you'd be really be that much up for going to work and things. Sorry, up for going to work and things like that. Um, you might want to take it easy at home um, for the second week. Uh, after the second week, so into the third week now, you'd probably be okay to drive short distances, stuff like that. If you work and if it's not too difficult and if it's not too strenuous and certainly not lifting and things like that, then after the second week, you'll probably be okay to go back to work after two weeks, I would have thought. So two weeks, I would say, was average for going back to work, but you'll still feel tight. You still feel weird. You might have a little scab down at the T-junction because sometimes it doesn't heal as well as we'd like. So you might have a little dressing on there. Um, so you're not going to feel great, but you should be able to go to work after two weeks. And then um, taking it easy, nothing too heavy and things. After that three weeks, you'll be feeling better. Um, you'll be doing things like, you know, obviously walking will be good. If you're doing the gym, lower body stuff like the stepper and things like that. Um, not, not too much with your upper body. Uh, and then four to six weeks before you start going crazy on this bit, just because you're exercising the pec, the muscle, you're going to make it swell and it's going to take longer to settle. So if you do heavy lifting in your job, four to six weeks, we can give you a note, just write surgery on it and say, look, you know, uh, two weeks off and then four weeks of light duties or something like that or phase return um and yeah after six weeks then you're starting to feel better as i say scars i said earlier scars will be a bit red and we get you massaging scars at the six week point 
but you'll be starting to get back into things so you won't be full on but you're starting to get back into things so you can start getting back to the gym see how you feel if it hurts if it swells then you think oh god i've gone back too soon back off but if it doesn't hurt and doesn't swell then you'll be able to um ratchet it up so after about six weeks so yeah two weeks off and then four weeks before you'd be doing anything heavy and then it does take a good few months i normally say things really start to settle at three months quite a long time three months and that's just start to settle six 12 18 months for everything to properly settle by the, the settle i mean the scars quite red sensation can be weird numbness bits and bobs shape can be strange it takes a while for everything to sort of settle down big job jumbo job roxana i'm pretty sure that's a clapping pretty sure hoping that's a clapping debbie bb what would you do with the midriff if it's quite fatty when doing a tt is lipo too dangerous due to the tint blood vessels what are the other options debbie look debbie's a pro debbie's a pro debbie's asking pro questions bb tt mr come on debbie what you got what do you got let's have some more abbreviations come on TTBB, come on, what you got? Tint blood vessels. I know all about tint blood vessels. Yeah, I know what they are. Um, Cheryl, you're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. Thank you for asking the question. Yeah. Um, so, what would you do with a midriff if it's quite fatty when doing a TT? Is lipo so lipo, is it tiny blood vessel? What's tint blood vessel? This is actually tiny. Is lipo too dangerous due to the tiny or tint? Well, I'll say tint anyway. Tint blood vessels. What are the other options? I again depends on the person. You can't you can't um, beat. <laughs> is that the word I was looking for? You can't. Um, there is a word. There is a word. Substitute anyway you can't it's not it's not as good as doing an in-person um oh it was tiny it's not as good as doing an in-person consultation is what i'm trying to say but in general terms my view midriff uh so when you do a tummy tuck all the skin from the belly button down goes the belly button down to your pubic area so the skin from the belly button up the belly button to your rib cage gets stretched and pulled down so people often worry about that bit they think oh it's all fatty this bit but it gets pulled down so it does indirectly get improved and so I say, look, it indirectly gets improved. So you might find you don't need anything done to that midriff area. If you're like, yeah, yeah, I hate the midriff area. I want to get something done. It's terrible. Um, what can I what can I do? Then, as you said there, lipo, uh, it, you might think in your mind, lipo is a good option. Again, it's controversial lipo in, in the midriff area um, when you do a tummy tuck. And I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do lipo to this area when you're doing a tummy tuck. It's not so much for the tiny blood vessels. Well, I guess it sort of is for the tiny blood vessels. It's it's because the skin, because you're undermining the skin all the way up to the rib cage, and you can sort of get your hand under and you're, you're pulling it down. The blood supply is all coming in from the top. So you don't want to damage the blood vessels. So in that case, I guess it's the tiny blood vessels. Then. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. So you don't want to damage the blood vessels anyway, because then you're going to potentially have delayed wound healing if those blood vessels are damaged. So you tend not or many people myself included would tend not to do uh, liposuction to the upper abdomen uh liposuction and tummy tuck is usually for the hips and the flanks um so i would say my my view is let's say look i wouldn't do tummy wouldn't do liposuction if it's not too bad hopefully it'll be better if it is bad then you could always do liposuction later so you can always leave it you know three to six months and then do liposuction to the upper abdomen once it's all healed 
Or of course, fleur de lis is the other thing. If there's loads of rolls of fat there, you can do a fleur de lis to sort of take that out, narrow the waist and give a better midriff, but that would give that T-shaped scar, which is um, quite a bit more scarring than a tummy tuck. Tummy tuck, the scar's hidden in underwear. Fleur de lis, boom, it's there at the front. So, you know, it does narrow the waist and perhaps give a better shape, but it's a big scar, so balance. So the options are hope that it gets better, which is probably a good, well, it is a good option. And if it doesn't do liposuction later, or if it's really bad, do a flirtly. Cheryl, thank you. Tiny. Khan is in. Khan, what do you got to say for yourself? Is BR, oh, BR, BR, BB, BR. I'm going to guess that's breast reduction. I'm going for breast reduction. Why don't you say BU? You should have just said, is BR a bigger op than BU? Um, so is BR, we'll, we'll assume for the sake of this um, broadcast that BR is a breast reduction, a bigger op than breast uplift. Um, yeah. Yeah. So basically, they're similar. They're quite similar ops. The skin marking is the same for a breast reduction and a breast uplift. So in those terms, they are similar. And the scarring is the same, although sometimes because more skin is often taken out with the breast reduction, that uh, horizontal scar is often longer. But the actual uh, pattern of scarring is the same. Potent. This pattern of scarring is the same for a breast reduction and a mastopexy or a, ma a breast lift. So you might think, well, that's similar operations. The difference is with a mastopexy, with a breast lift, you're only taking away skin. Now, breast lift is still quite a big operation because you can't just take away skin and close it because the breast is droopy. So you do have to mobilize the breast. You do have to do some dissection to free up bits of the breast and free up the nipple and mobilize it and push it all up and then close the skin. But you're just mobilizing the breast. You're not actually taking any breast tissue out. With a breast reduction, you're actually taking breast tissue out and you're isolating the nipple on a pedicle, on a stalk. So you're taking tissue from around the nipple and you're isolating that, that nipple and taking all the breast volume out from around there and then moving that nipple up. So it is a bigger operation of breast reduction. Because you're cutting away, you're taking out that breast tissue, we take that, we send that breast tissue to histology. So the bottom I'm getting onto is breast reduction is a bigger operation, bigger recovery, and more expensive because you have to do histology on the breast tissue. It's routine. And also, because you're isolating that nipple, there's more risk of problems with the nipple, problems being nipple sensation altered and blood flow to the nipple being affected. Things like nipple loss is more of a risk with a breast reduction because you're actually isolating the nipple on just one stalk of tissue, um, whereas a breast lift, you're leaving all the tissue attached and just sort of mobilizing, just releasing it. Um, so breast reduction is a bigger op, uh, often more scarring, although the same pattern because more skin is removed and more risk of complications, wound healing problems and what have you, because there's a bigger space there for swelling and hematomas, more cutting because you're cutting through breast tissue, so more risk of hematomas and, and, and things like that. So in generally bigger op, yeah, than a breast lift, in, in uh, but looks the same, so scar-wise looks the same. Um, Khan, you're in, will the uplift, with, with the uplift, it's possible you'll end up drooping again in years to come, yes. So what I would normally say is that stuff like breast lifts, same with facelifts, you know, um, what we're doing is we're fighting gravity and gravity continues to act on our bodies. So we're fighting it. So we're resetting you to a better place. So bring your breasts up to a better place. And that is 
that is a definite, you know. So people think they're going to get the problem again, or they might get the problem again. But basically, um, we're resetting you a bit to a better place. So we're resetting the clock back, but the clock still is ticking. So we're resetting you to a better place, but we don't lock you in that place forever. Your body doesn't say, oh, my God, she spent thousands of pounds on her breasts. We better not make better not let gravity act on them. Gravity will still act on them from that point on. So they will. Yes, I'm sorry to say they will be acted on by gravity. Now, the two things that can really accelerate it and the two things that really can do you in if you're having if you need a breast lift is, is weight fluctuations, particularly putting on and losing weight and having children. Those are the two things that can accelerate your need for a breast lift. So if you're thinking of doing either of those things, don't have a breast lift. Because if you have a breast lift and then you put on and lose weight or you have children, which does the same thing, makes your breast bigger and smaller and that stretches the skin, they're going to droop quicker. So that's the first thing. Don't do those things if you can avoid it, because that's going to make them droop quicker. But even if you don't do those things, they still will droop over time. And it depends on how big they are. So the bigger they are, the more they're acted on by gravity. So that's why you might think, well, I have a breast reduction. So I'll take some volume, particularly with the breast reduction, you take some volume out of the lower pole to make it less heavy, make them less likely to droop in the future. But you've got to be happy being smaller. If you're happy with the size, then, you know, you might say, well, I'm happy with the size. But the bigger they are, the more they'll be acting on by gravity and the more they'll droop in the future. That is a good question, Khan. You've come out with a good one there. You two crackers at the end there, Khan. So I wish I thought of that question. That's a good one. So, yes, it is possible you'll end up drooping again in the years to come. Um, that is you can't win the curse of massive boobs. God, that's what I could call this Q&A. Curse of massive boobs. Or call a film. That's got a film. That's a film title, that is. Maybe. Maybe not the right sort of film. Maybe not. Uh, okay, retract that. Um, yes, but big. the bigger the breast, the more they'll be acting on by gravity and the more that they will droop in the future. So if you want to keep this up, but so it's got, you've got to be happy. So if you want to keep the size fine, but you've got to know that they will be more likely to droop. You know, if you want them less likely to droop, then have a reduction and make them smaller. But you might say, well, actually, reductions, more complications, more cost. And actually, I don't want them smaller. Okay, well, then have them bigger and um, take on the risk of them drooping potentially in the future. Say la vie. Cheryl, can implants be used as well as an uplift? Yes, they can. That's a big question. Cheryl, that's a big question you're asking at this point in time. That's a big one. In answer to your question, yes, they can. And that would be for, so basically, a lift improves the shape. And at the time of a lift, you can either make them smaller, which is a reduction, or you make them bigger, oops, which is a lift combined with implants. And that is definitely a thing. So if you don't like the shape, if they're droopy and you want them bigger, if you want to wear, a, if you're happy with the cup size of the bra you're wearing. So when you're, when the bra is lifting them, then that's fine. But if you want to be a bigger cup size, you can have implants. And that, um, but that's a big operation. And many surgeons don't do it. There's many surgeons who don't do a lift and implants at the same time. Because when you combine a lift and implants, that's quite a big deal. Because a lift makes everything tight. When you stick an implant in, it makes everything tight more risk of wound healing down at that t-junction if that wound doesn't heal up properly if it gets infected if the implant gets infected you have to take the implant out so it's a big deal a lift and implants but it can be done the other benefit of implants like um khan was saying it, are they going to drop in years to come yes they will drop in years to come implants don't really drop implants just sort of stay there it's the breasts that drop so implants do give sustained fullness in the upper pole so when you do a lift 
it often settles to a more sort of convex shape in the upper pole, sort of from the, you know, above the nipple. Sometimes people want a bit more fullness. They say, I want a lift. I'm having a lift because I want them fuller. But when you're dealing with your own tissues, gravity acts on them. So some, if you add an implant, that does give a more full uh, look in the upper pole. But it does make the breast bigger, number one. So if you don't want the breast bigger, then I'd say, well, don't have implants. And number two, it does increase the risk for complications. So a lot of good surgeons will stage it and do one operation, like either the lift or the implants first, and then uh, three to six months later, do the other one. So do it routinely as a two-stage operation. But it can be uh, used the same operation, but you have to be um, comfortable that that is a uh, thing that you want to have because it's a big deal. Oksana, loving it. So um, that's th is that it? That's it? I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to go with my, do the podcast thing. I don't know if this does, has any effect me putting this thing on. We've got a podcast. It's not a daily vlog. It's a vlog. Anyway, it's not just a vlog. We haven't done a vlog in a while. We've got videos on YouTube as well. Yeah, sorry, I should do that with a bit more enthusiasm, shouldn't I? Maybe I should change that um, thing, make it a crawler. I like the crawlers. Um, that's a crawler. Yeah, please comment and share. So that's me out. Uh, thank you all for being here and giving up your evening. Very, very grateful to you all. Um, thank you, Roxana. And I am very much looking forward to next Tuesday because you know what's happening next Tuesday, don't you? You got it. Same again here, 7 o'clock. We are going to be doing a uh, Facebook Live, live Q&A. Have a great evening, Roxana. Thank you, Khan. Uh, great bit of interaction. And um, if you've got any questions, email them in the meantime. But if you uh, what, just don't have to email them, just come in, in and ask the question there and then. Uh, oh, Amina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you all. Thank you. Ooh, got a lot of thanks here. Um, thank you all for coming. And I will be here 7 o'clock next uh, Tuesday and I will be doing exactly the same thing again so if you've got any questions please ask away and I'm very grateful to you all for your BBs, MRs, TTs, you name it you know I'm learning a lot here so it's a two-way thing you know give and take we're both learning so uh, see you next Tuesday see you Roxana and have a lovely evening and I'm gonna end the ball have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.